Hey, I'm Sam. Hi, I'm Ashley. And you're listening to All Bodies, All Foods, presented by the Renfrew Center for Eating Disorders. We want to create a space for all bodies to come together authentically and purposefully to discuss various areas that impact us on a cultural and relational level. We believe that all bodies and all foods are welcome. We would love for you to join us on this journey. Let's learn together. Welcome back to another episode of All Bodies, All Foods. I'm Sam, and I'm here with my co-host, Ashley, and we have a very special guest today. So many parents and caregivers desperately want their child to have a good relationship with food and a good relationship with their body. And it makes sense so many parents want these things for their children. Disordered eating, dieting, and body dissatisfaction are all major risk factors for eating disorders. And eating disorders are serious. They're the second deadliest psychiatric disorder in the DSM-5. But so many parents often confess that when their kid comes home one day and says, mom, dad, I hate my body, their minds go blank. They question their instincts and worry they didn't say or do the right thing. That's exactly why we invited Zoe to the show today. Zoe Bisbang, MSW, LCSW, is a licensed psychotherapist, speaker, and content creator. She is the director of Body Positive Therapy, NYC, and Body Positive Home, formerly the Full Bloom Project, an educational resource offering workshops and body image workouts for the whole family. She loves teaching parents and professionals how to creatively build spaces where children of all ages, sizes, and gender expressions can naturally boost immunity to our appearance-obsessed culture and decrease risk for disordered eating and body image injury. You can follow her on Instagram at mybodypositivehome for bite-sized body-positive basics and body image hacks. Zoe holds a Master of Social Work from New York University, a Bachelor of Arts from Smith College, and a certification in family-based treatment from the Institute for Child and Adolescent Eating Disorders. A native New Yorker, Zoe lives in Manhattan with her husband, three children, and two dogs. Zoe, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's like listening to your, it's like a eulogy. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me. You know, it's a topic near and dear to my heart. And I love connecting with other eating disorder professionals about, you know, the front end, right? What we can do to optimally put ourselves out of business, I always say, right? Right, exactly. I think this episode will be so helpful for parents. I cannot tell you how many parents through the years, they find out I'm a therapist for eating disorders. And one of the first things they ask me, they start listing all the ways they think they've messed up. You know, oh, I said this, what do you think I should have said? And That's when I thought to myself, we have got to have Zoe on this show. (laughs) But I would love to hear a little more about you, Zoe, as as a clinician, but also as a person. What led you to the mental health field and why body image and eating disorders? Yeah, so I had been a classically trained dancer and like professional child. I had performed as a kid here in New York City. And I was very dedicated to becoming a ballet dancer. That was like my one track goal. And through my experience, you know, like it's no secret that eating disorders are kind of rampant in dance community. And Mm -hmm. so I think I had a sense that I knew a lot about disordered eating and body image issues from my, my very 
tiny corner of the classical ballet world. <clears throat> and then I took ballet as far as my body would let it take me. And um, around, you know, in college, I sort of dabbled in other forms of dance and theater. And um, I couldn't quite find my way. I couldn't quite figure out exactly what I wanted. But I had always thought maybe one day after I retired from my ballet career as an older person, I would become a therapist. So in my own soul searching to figure out like, what am I going to be when I grow up now that I'm not a dancer anymore? Um, I thought maybe I'll go become a therapist. And I think I thought I knew a lot about disordered eating and body image issues because of dance. So it sort of informed the path that I kind of took within the social workspace. But then when I worked on an inpatient unit in an actual eating disorder, psychiatric unit, I learned what eating disorders really are. And, you know, I was humbled to realize that I, I think I had a very hmm, basic understanding as it maybe pertained to, you know, sports that have a unique demand on bodies, certainly disordered eating, but the kind of psychiatric profoundly life-threatening illness it can be, this was what I learned and then realized, especially as a social worker on the unit, I was doing a lot of family work mm -hmm. and I found that really um, kind of amazing. I loved the educational aspect of it. Um, and so from there, I mean, unfortunately, if you're interested even a little bit in eating disorders, I think you can have a very successful career <laughs> because sadly there are a lot of them. And I think one thing led to another and um, a lot of my work as a therapist working with adults and young children and teens with eating disorders drove my interest in prevention work because it's just so damn hard um, to beat these illnesses, as you know. And uh, especially when I became a parent, I think it all sort of came together. And uh, at the time, the Full Bloom Project was born, which has now since evolved into Body Positive Home. Yeah. Thanks, Zoe. So um, about your program specifically, Body Positive Home, um, I would love to hear more about that. What what does that mean? How can we know that we have a body positive home? And I'm thinking of this through the lens of, um, so like all three of us were therapists on here and we've discussed body positivity, we've discussed body neutrality, body respect, kind of kind of all of these words and all of this lingo. And so what does body positive home mean? And how can we implement that? How do we know if we have that or if we don't? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Many I, questions. <laughs> many, many questions. Yeah. Um, no, but I think that's partly why I built body positive home, because yeah. I think we actually all can build body positive homes so long as we understand what all of those terms mean, the ones yeah. you just mentioned. Yeah. Um, and and then sort of as so long as we are willing to kind of, you know, grab the 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 template that I'm hopefully offering people and then sort of go from there. Right. So um the idea for body positive home, when I when I say prevention, you know, my passion for sort of quote preventing eating disorders, and I always quote it because like we can't really prevent them. And for mm -hmm. some families, early intervention, early detection is the prevention, right? Like being able to notice a problem. Um, in some cases, it's going to be to actually prevent any kind of illness from taking over for any particular kid. But <clears throat> body positive home for me 
is a value system. And that's where I think about this term body positivity. I think it's grossly misunderstood what body positivity is. And I really look at body positivity as a value system that if you believe that all bodies are good bodies and that those bodies, regardless of their size, shape, level of ability, all of it, gender expression, if you believe that all bodies are deserving of a positive relationship to their own body, you are body positive. This is different from feeling good about my body. Yes. And by the way, you know, I, I, I appreciate some people don't really like the term body positivity because they prefer body liberation, for example, which, you know, sort of rejects the idea of anybody having a positive relationship with their body, given the sort of levels of oppression that exists at that face marginalized bodies. And I totally get that. I don't think everybody has equal access to a positive relationship with their body. But if you believe that even that person who doesn't have a positive relationship with their body deserves one. I think this is body positive values. Yeah. But in my body positive home, right? I espouse body positive values, but maybe I'm hoping that my children have um can live their lives in a sort of body neutral stance, right? Mm-hmm. So I think body neutrality is different. But I do think in some ways a body positive home or a body positive family is hoping to raise children that have a body positive value system, right? So that they're looking out into the world, observing body diversity and being like, that's that's awesome. And right. those people are facing oppression and that's wrong. And I want to try to fix that in the world. But that doesn't necessarily need to translate to, and I love my body. It mm-hmm. might hopefully translate to I'm uh, I'm accepting of it, right? Mm-hmm. And you can have body positive values and terrible body image. You can have very good body image and not such body positive values. So, so much of building a body positive home, I think, involves like doing a little work to learn what these terms mean, which I hope to make accessible to people mm-hmm. so that then from there, you can sort of figure out, well, what does that mean for like the way I feed my kids or what does that mean for the way I orient to work, um, exercise or mm-hmm. what kind of books do I bring into my home or art do I hang on the walls? Like this is sort of what I like to um, bring it to life and sort of personify it as a home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, I, I really appreciate that so much. I, we were talking a little bit before we started recording this and I let, you know, I have a two-year-old and, mm-hmm. and she's my daughter. And so like, even thinking of raising a young woman in culture sometimes feels a little scary for me, you know, and, um, but, but kind of the avenue that you're approaching this as more of the prevention and of the advocacy of like, understanding what our underlying value system is and le- and letting that help navigate us forward um in in openness and accepting of all bodies because all bodies are deserving of being here and of being present and of being loved so i just i i love that framework thank you for sharing that with us yeah i'm curious zoe um when you're working with parents and you're sort of presenting this value system, 
are there any barriers? Yeah. I'm sort of remember, you know, working as an eating disorder therapist for over a decade, I'm thinking about some of the things I hear from parents, you know, like they want their kid to like how they look or they really link up like weight and health. And they might say, but, but I want, I want my kid to be healthy. I want my kid to have a healthy body. Do you ever hear this sort of Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. I would love to time. know. Yeah. I would love to yeah. know. Like, how do you, how do you help parents who are, who are saying these kind of things? Yeah. So, you know, in, in my um, framework, as you say, I have these like five fundamentals and one is all bodies are good bodies. One is all foods are good foods. So it's like, we're a match made in heaven on this podcast. <laughs> yes. um, Sounds like our title. the the third one is health is such a tricky word Mm. because I do believe that in order to really embody body positive values, right. Where you're really going to honor all bodies, you know, we're not just talking about all shapes and sizes, but also like levels of health, right. Levels of access to health. And I find, um, you know, I, I love the health at every size framework. It's definitely um, embedded in my own understanding of like actual well-being and moving away from healthism. Um, it certainly informs my eating disorder practice. But I find to to your point, you know, parents don't have a lot of time. <laughs> and like, you know, being like, read this book about health at every size and how we need to separate health from weight in order to really center a person's health and dignity. I find sometimes just saying, you know, health is such a tricky word yeah. is almost like the that that's the nugget, right? Health mm. is tricky. Mm-hmm. I totally want my kids to have a healthy body. I know that I can't measure that based on what it looks like, right? So I want parents to, I, I will say to them, of course you do. By the way, as parents, that's our job to keep our children healthy and safe. But I do think we need to appreciate that health is not something that's entirely in our control and that there are all sorts of um, genetic realities, environmental realities, mental health intersecting with physical health. Like, There's so much going on here. And I think I can say to a parent, totally, I know you want to raise a healthy child. That's why I want you to build a body positive home, Mm. but I also don't want you to moralize around health. Mm -hmm. Um, And I want you really to understand the difference between weight and health, because when you say, well, I want my kid to eat healthy, Mm -hmm. well, me too, but I want us to have an expansive definition of healthy, Mm -hmm. both as it pertains to physical well-being and our relationship to food. I think eating disorder therapists are just know when I meet one, like we always have this deep sense of what healthy eating means. It, it, it's a behavioral health we're looking for too. It's not healthy to be afraid to eat cookies. Mm-hmm. It's not healthy to feel out of control around cookies, right? Like we want to think about the positive eating attitude, et cetera. So Um, That can be a barrier, but I find in my experience, the way I've been able to bring people in, it's to say, yes, I hear you. And Mm -hmm. and this is why actually working on these values, right? Body positive values and moving away again from oppressive definitions of health, why 
that that doesn't really serve you, your child or the world. Like some mm-hmm. people don't care. Some people just don't, aren't interested. You know, they're maybe going to follow another influencer on a juice cleanse or something. But for me, um, I think bringing people in to say, yes, of course. And here's how we can actually talk about health in ways that don't have unintended psychological consequences. Yeah. It's really helping parents understand that you're all on the same page and have the same goals. Yeah. Yeah. I was looking through some of your workshops in your program, and I love this concept of renovating your home to make it a body positive space. You know, even, you know, renovating the different rooms, the closet, the kitchen, the living room. And I'm just so curious would you be able to expand on that? What are some ways families can renovate the spaces where they live? Yeah, I mean, I think that this can be concrete and practical and also abstract. Um, but for the sake of practicality, I think, for example, the closet, I think a lot of patients that I've worked with later in life um have very upsetting memories of their bodies growing, expanding, going through puberty, let's say, and out outgrowing clothing and having that be like a very shame-filled experience. Um, maybe even a parent who was anxious about those body changes, not knowing how to just say something like that piece of clothing is not working for your body anymore. You deserve clothing that affirms your body. I'm going to go get that for you. There's nothing wrong with your body. Like very few people from my generation, our generation heard that. Um, So a a way of um, renovating the closet, it's sort of like you're renovating the the way you're going to relate to clothing in your family. And so I have what I call not working for my body anymore bags in our Mm -hmm. closets at home that are like, you could just take a Target bag and write not working for my body anymore And it sort of puts a system in place that even before a child can feel like, what's wrong with me that my pants don't close? Not all children are going to have that thought, but some are. It's like, oh, it just goes in this bag, you know, like it just doesn't work for my body anymore. Um, And so putting a system in place and then allowing that system to support you as a parent, um, because it's normal for parents to be uncomfortable with body changes that their kids are having or anxious, especially if you have your own internalized anti-fat bias and like who doesn't having grown up in this culture. But I think that this process, by the way, you can have one too in your closet. Like our bodies don't stop changing even as adults Um, and just really become a family that says, you know what, like we demand our clothing works for our bodies. We're never going to try to change our bodies to fit into clothing. And so you go to Goodwill nearby um, and drop off clothing and find and find new clothing. And, you know, there's accessibility barriers, obviously, like if you can't afford new clothing or if you have trouble accessing sizes, this is true, too. It's, it's an additional uh, stress factor. But the, the system, putting it in place, it, it really it's like you demonstrate your values as a family. You know, if my kid is having a lot of. Uh, Oh, taking pants off, taking pants off, rather than say, what's wrong with you? There could be sensory issues too, right? Like the pants mm-hmm. don't fit right or the tags or, you know, and say like, you you deserve pants that feel okay. We're not going to stop till we find them, right? Like 
it's sort of centering these values that I think are, are eating disorder prevention, you know, um, but, but in scaffolding it into your home. So it's not like now we're going to talk about eating disorder prevention, right. But rather it just becomes sort of part of the way we, we operate as a family. I love that so much. I do do too. That is so beautiful. And I'm thinking like, I wrote it down um, the phrase, this is not working for my body instead of, and I'm thinking of a phrase that I've probably said before. And I know so many people have, I can't fit that anymore. Right. And it Mm. like, it completely, um, it shifts the narrative that I'm telling myself completely. And it takes like saying this is not working for my body anymore takes any kind of that like yucky self-degrading shame that I might be experiencing with a changing body away by using this method that, Oh, I love that. Mm -hmm. Zoe. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad. I mean, and I'll, I'll connect another little dot, which I think is relevant, particularly for you with your two-year-old. Yeah. So, uh, oh, I normally have a copy here. So I don't know if you know, I mean, Eric Carl's famous, but this book, A House for Hermit Crab, this is like, this is not about body image. Let me be clear. But I think this sort of connects, like, so you've got this system in your home, the not working for my body anymore bag. And then this is not like, there's, there are books that you might bring into your family. Um, certainly as little, if you have little kids, like bodies are cool and big and these newer books that are truly body positive, celebrating all bodies. I recently got this everybody book from someone at the Brooklyn public library sent it to me, but this is not one of these books, right? However, a house for hermit crab is a story of a hermit crab. The first set page, he says, Oh, my shell's too small for me, time to move. And he Mm -hmm. goes on a journey where he very neutrally just outgrows his shell. And then he like asks all these other animals to like come along with him to like make it cute and help him keep clean and have safety and lights. And, and then at the end he outgrows it again and he's like, Oh, time to move again. And then he finds another little hermit crab and he's like, Oh, you can have my shell. And I call it hermit crab wisdom because it's like as a body positive, what nurturer, you could read this, which is just like a book about a little hermit crab moving on, you know, and find a little lesson in there on like body neutrality. And then you can say, oh, just like us, when our clothing doesn't fit anymore, we get a new shell. And, Mm. you know, we have to have shells that fit our bodies because it's harder to take care of your body and feel good in your body if it's too snug, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. and you start to, you see as eating disorder therapists, how it's like reverse engineering so much of the work that we do. And so a little book like this, because I'm obsessed with this, this stuff, I see that eating disorder prevention everywhere. But I do think that if people kind of come along, they're like, oh my God, what a beautiful lesson. And yes, just like are not working for my body anymore bag. So this is like a a connection. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I've had conversations with obviously so many people in recovery being in this position. And I can't tell you how many people say that wearing comfortable clothing was such a huge piece of their recovery. Mm -hmm. And they were surprised about it. I think when we think about body image, we forget how important just having access to comfortable clothes is how big of a difference it can make. Mm -hmm. Oh, enormous difference. I mean, and I've, uh, and and again, this is partly why, again, going back to the more values 
based stance, if you believe all bodies are good bodies and are deserving of equity and all of these things, like we have a big problem in our culture. If not everybody can walk into a store and access comfortable clothes, right. this is a tremendous problem. Right. And I would like to think that kids that get to grow up in a body positive home can become the fashion designers that make yeah. different choices about that or the you know, photo of the photographers that do campaigns that continue yeah. to promote, you know, the diversity. So I, I, I think it's a, it, but it's so funny how it's almost one of these like no brainers, like obviously you should be comfortable yeah. and yet people really don't, don't make that initial connection. But I, I mean, I send non-pregnant people for maternity clothes all the time during recovery. Cause it's just like, let it, you got to wear clothing that is like kind and is saying yeah, to you, yeah. like change, grow, expand all good. Right. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. Well, and I feel like fashion in general has shifted. Maybe I would say maybe in the last like 20 years, like I'm, I'm almost 40 and growing up, I've always lived in a larger body and there were no clothes for me. You know, it was like, my mom would take me to like, <laughs> Talbots or oh, something, God. you know, yeah. and I'm like, I can't, there's nothing here that's pretty, you know, or like, I don't feel like a cute teenager or no. anything like that. And so the value of, of actually finding something that does fit on my body well, and like, I feel good and confident in it feels so good to be able to have that experience. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking Zoe, going back to this like body home renovation. So when, when we're actively working on renovating our home, we're working on changing our language. Um, we're working on supporting our kiddos and ourselves and, um, along comes aunt Polly who is <laughs> everyone's got an Aunt Polly. Oh, no. oh Aunt Polly. Not, not Aunt Polly. <laughs> She's very focused on that, you know, that that air quote health again. Um and and she might bring in things like you know, like, oh, that's too much candy or, or we're not, we're not eating, you know, again, air quote, junk food right now, yada yada. Mm -hmm. Um how do we how do we move forward in in voicing and advocating for the fact that we are doing a body renovation home and this is a value system that we intend to uphold. Yeah. Et cetera. Yeah. I, I hear you. I mean, and I, I, I think partly why it, you know, there's a lot of like, uh, if you're on social media content about this, like, here's how you talk to aunt Polly, you know, and <laughs> I, I've, I've tried those, but I think part of what I really appreciate about this is that interpersonal effectiveness is a skill, right? Mm -hmm. And so if Aunt Polly happens to also be kind of like a narcissist, it's going to be harder to set a limit with her mm -hmm. than Aunt Fran, who maybe is just like, I didn't know. I'd love to learn more about how to help you affirm their bodies. And that's in a way, a, a kind of for everyone to think about, like, who are these family members? What kind of, how flexible are they? Do they listen to me? How am I doing with my boundary setting? Because there are going to be situations, you know, if you think about, let's say your kid is struggling with body image, maybe they are going through puberty. So 
they are actually gaining weight. And you know that like bringing them to Aunt Polly's house is like going to be catastrophic Mm -hmm. because there's just no way Aunt Polly's not saying something about their body in front of them. And you know, this kid is at risk. Like if you can't talk to Aunt Polly ahead of time to be like, listen, you know, Jenny has gained weight since the last time you saw her. She's going through puberty. She's healthy. She's doing great. And one of the ways you can support her is to just don't comment on her body. Ask her about her life. If Aunt Polly is like, well, I won't do that, then I don't think you can go to Aunt Polly's house. Yeah. However, if you can sort of cope cope ahead, you know, set the boundary and Polly says, I don't want to do anything to upset her. Of course. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so it really has a lot to do, I think, with the people you're dealing with and then your own ability. And I think that those are skills that we can help people with, right? Like mm-hmm. think about DBT skills around interpersonal effectiveness. I teach those all the time for these questions when parents have these questions, because it's not that big a ask to say mm-hmm. to somebody, please don't talk about your diet in front of my kid. And mm-hmm. yet, if you're a person that struggles to ask for what you need, it's going to be terrifying to you, right? Mm-hmm. So I wish there was like a say this. I think I kind of modeled how I might handle it. Um, and you know, it depends on your personality and if somebody just sort of ad libs, like I could see a grandparent just making a kind of stupid, loose lipped comment that I kind of notice, I might say something like, Hey, you know, like, please, this is, this is, we don't need to body shame here. You know, I might handle it casually. I might look to an older child. I might say like, Oh my God, grandpa is just never going to learn. Let's go over here and enjoy our cake. You know, mm-hmm. like, I think that there's, you know, you gotta be attuned to the kid you're with the the family members you're with. And so yeah. I, I encourage people to take the the social media advice about this with a grain of salt, because I could see how people will say, well, I can't imagine saying that to my mother-in-law, like mm-hmm. she would be so offended. Well, what else aren't you saying to your mother-in-law, you know, and how's that working out for you? And do you need some guidance around that? Right. Like I want to appreciate the complexities of human relationships. Yeah. And culture too, I think, you know, it's just not always realistic to be able to tell grandma what she should and shouldn't say, depending on your culture. So I think that's such a good point. It's, it really depends on, you know, your relationships and the people in your life. I think that's a great point about culture. And I guess the one thing I'll say is if as a body positive nurturer, if I'm really embodying my values, I'm going to err on the side of advocacy I'm going to err on the side of saying something if it feels like in the way that like if someone made a racist comment, Mm -hmm. would you just laugh or roll your eyes? Or might you say like, Grandpa, no, we don't talk that way anymore. Mm -hmm. Like we don't, you know, Um, but also what you might be raising kids that are, again, culturally relative, but like a kid who's 11 year old, nine year old, who's sort of into activism might hear something and say, what are you doing? Like, Mm -hmm. that's inappropriate. I don't know. I like, my kids think they can say whatever they want about things like that. Um, But again, I think the more you embody these values, I think the, uh, not the easier it is, but the more worth it, it feels to say something. And then other times it's just not going to either feel worth it or even necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Sam, your, your thought reminded me and to be honest, I can't remember if it, if I heard this concept on a, the podcast or um, another training that I did, but the idea of external versus internal boundaries, when we attend something um, 
you know, if culturally it might not be appropriate to set that external boundary or that limit, how can we prepare ourselves internally um, prior to going, prior to experiencing that and reminding ourselves of that value system that we, we want so badly to uphold, not only for ourselves, but for our loved ones involved as well, I think is um, something that can help us with those internal boundaries. Um, so, so that if the comments do happen, they don't, land or sting as hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we were talking earlier, Zoe, about your Instagram account. We're huge fans of it. My body positive home. And you have these great bite-sized videos to help parents with the tough questions that mm-hmm. their kids, you know, they, these, you know, so many parents tell me they completely freeze up when their kid says certain things. And I thought maybe on this episode, if it's okay, we can give some examples of some tough questions and how you yeah. might coach a parent through it. So how about your kid comes home and says, mom, I hate my body. I look so fat. How do you help a parent? Ugh. Well, first I would invite the parent to like take a deep breath because that's a hard, it's just hard. It's really hard to hear your kid speak that way about themselves, you know, if they, they hate their body. Right. And it's really hard, especially if you're doing all this work to hear them equate hating their body with thinking they're fat or being fat, you know? So I would say to a parent, like you take a deep breath and remember that something really important just happened, that your kid came to you, right? That is like already, wow, you're a really good parent. (laughs) Like you did really well if that already happened, right? So I would want the parent to know that in a way, as upsetting as it is, you're off to a really good start because they came to you. And then I might just say, I'm so glad you're, you're telling me that you feel this way. It's a, it's a awful, it's awful to feel bad about your body. That's a terrible feeling. Um, you said you think you're fat, like what, or, or if, if that's what they said, you, you know, you think you look so fat, like, can you tell me more? Like, what, what do you mean? Some kids don't mean the same thing by that. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't leap in with, there's nothing wrong with being fat right away. I think I would try to be like, what do you, what do you mean? What are you feeling? What do you see? Try to get them to talk to you. And then just say like, you know, can you tell me more? I'm just so glad you came to me with this. This is, you want to reinforce that they came to you. And to remember that I feel so fat, I am so fat, usually is a confused idea. Like sometimes it is genuinely a kid in a larger body looking around, being like, I am bigger than my peers. And that feels scary and bad. That's different from sometimes people mean I feel awkward, I feel um, unworthy, I feel ashamed, right? Like that feeling fat can mean so many things. So as parents, I think we just want to not assume we know what they mean and just keep it really open um, and not, you know, again, I think you answer it and you proceed very differently based on the actual size of your child. Because if you do have a child in a larger body who's talking this way to you, I think being able to validate what they're noticing, right? That their body is bigger 
right? Mm -hmm. Maybe that's what they say. Oh, I'm so much bigger than all the the other 12-year-old girls in my class. I might say something like, "I, I see that too. You are bigger than them. And honestly, there's nothing wrong with that, but it can be harder to be shaped differently. We don't have a lot of control over those things, you know? but I'm just so glad you're talking to me about this. I'm here for you, you know? Um, and then I wouldn't add that part for a kid that, you know, a kid who's let's say average to smaller in size to other or thinner than other peers, You, your kid might be struggling with body dysmorphia. It's possible, right? So mm-hmm. keeping that line of communication open might even allow you to be like, wow, I gotta get my kid evaluated, right? So I think that, that that's where I'd go. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. I think that's so helpful. Um, what about um, kids who, I think parents get tripped up with food questions. So if a if a kid asks, can I have ice cream for breakfast today? A lot of parents ask, I, I didn't know what to say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think as parents, like we do get to decide what is on the menu and what isn't. And I think there's a lot of different ways. I think so much of this, like I talk a lot about exquisite attunement, like to the child before you. So there's so many different reasons for why a kid might ask for ice cream for breakfast. And there's also so many reactions a parent might have. I think it's completely reasonable to say it's just not one of the options today, but like, that's actually, I think we should have that later for dessert with dinner. How about that? Um, Or not today, I didn't plan for that today, but how about we put some on your waffle tomorrow? Like, um, or sure, you know, like we can have a little scoop of ice cream on your, on, you know, where we're going to have this today, but I could see ice cream next to the fruit. Like, why not? I don't think that any of those are wrong. I think they're all reasonable, but I think it's, it's sort of, it really has to do with what feels right to the parent, given that kid's sort of evolving relationship to food. I think some parents feel nervous about saying no, because they fear that they're going to, I don't know, create the opposite of a food neutral environment or shame the child. I think is if, especially if you're saying no, I think it's important to be like, wow, that's, I I love that idea. It's not an option right Mm -hmm. now, but how about tomorrow? Like you want to reinforce, there's nothing wrong with wanting that, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's just, I'm not serving it right now. And then if some, if they get my three-year-old gets very upset if you tell her no about anything, you know, like let them have their feelings. And then, you know, sometimes if it's going on and on and on over the course of many days, like give her the freaking ice cream, like maybe that's right. what she needs, you know, but, mm-hmm. but so much of how you would sort of navigate questions like that, I think has to do with this sort of bigger picture of the relationship to food, you know, you're noticing with the child. Mm. You know, I'm noticing with these questions, you're really pointing out opportunities to really just get curious and learn more about what's going on in your kid's head and and what they're feeling. And these are really opportunities where you can deepen your relationship with your child and make it more likely they're going to come to you in the future. Bingo. Love it. So for anyone listening out there, if you want to learn more, you have all kinds of videos with these types of questions head to my body positive home on Instagram. 
Zoe, I have one more question. We're kind of running out of time, but I, I was hoping that we could get to this. Um, so you offer an individualized program called Body Neutral Eyes, which includes a body image workout for your brain and the support of a personal body image trainer. Um, what exactly is this intervention and how can it help someone struggling with body image? Yeah, so this is a riff on mirror exposure therapy, which yeah. we incorporate into like our clinical work, but uh, in my group practice. So it's really in its sort of psychotherapy form is really excellent for body image work um, for folks struggling with disordered eating, body image issues, eating disorders. But this workout is, or this kind of program can be repurposed as like what I call a body image workout just for anybody who's like, I just want to feel better looking at my body, right? And so um, it's a progressive, it's like six sessions and it's a progressive experience where you are guided with your body image trainer through um, an exercise of looking in the mirror at your body in like progressively less and less clothing. Um, and we guide you through observing using neutral, objective, descriptive language to observe and describe what you see. Not what you think you see, not what grosses you out, but literally just what you see. And uh, from the front, from the back, from the side, and you know, we will take you as, as, as not naked as you'll go, but certainly into a bikini at the end, if you will. And there it's it's pretty remarkable like what what this allows people to do sort of reorient to the way they see themselves i mean I, ideally we don't want people thinking a whole lot about what their body looks like right that's a pretty disembodied experience of the world um but there is something about being able to give yourself an opportunity to look with as i say neutral eyes yeah and you can't simultaneously judge and observe at the same time. Right. So this is sort of the neutralizing effect. And I play around with this with kids too. I mean, body neutralizes for adults or I guess a teen could do it too. Um, but I, I think about like the shape game that I like to play with my little girl where it's just like, can you find a triangle on your face? Or how about an oval or a curve, you know? And it's, again, it's like completely neutral language and it's playful, right? Because being able to observe bodies neutrally and have access to that descriptive language is very protective, you know? Um, so, yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, so as we wrap up, any place you would want our listeners to go to find more material? How can they visit your website, you know, your Instagram? Um, where would you like to send our listeners to get more material? Sure. I mean, either uh, the website, which is uh, www.bodypositivehome.com or as Sam kindly plugged uh, the Instagram, it's, it's fairly active at My Body Positive Home. And yeah, I mean, between the website and the uh, social media profile, there's announcements of when new workshops are coming up. I just wrapped a really nice workshop series that walked through these um, kind of fundamentals that you were referencing. Uh, and, you know, if, if you're looking to 
you know, prevent eating disorders or raise a kid that has a better relationship with food and body than you do. Uh, so much of the prevention work I do, I think is very self-healing for anyone that has residual issues. Uh, so those are the two places to find me right now. Awesome. Thank you so much, Zoe. This has been so lovely connecting with you and, and just learning um, about what what your thoughts and and your offerings on the body positive home are we really appreciate it and thank you to our listeners for joining us for another episode and um don't forget if you have questions or comments let us know podcast at renfreecenter.com thanks all thank you for listening with us today on all bodies all foods presented by the renfrew center for eating disorders We're looking forward to you joining us next time as we continue these conversations.